Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. Angel investing is a growing investment class in Australia, and it's increasing as more startups emerge and seek funding to fuel their growth. Today marks the launch of a new early-stage venture firm called Flying Fox, founded by experienced startup investors Rachel Newman and Kylie Fraser. I wanted to find out more about the fund, what it means to be an angel investor, and where their money will be going. Rachel Newman, welcome to Fear and Greed. Thanks, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. Great name. Where'd it come from? Oh, there are a few different origin stories. It took a while for us to find the right name, but I think for us, we wanted to find a name that kind of reflected what we do with companies. We get them from point A to point B as quickly as possible. The ride might be crazy and exhilarating, but hopefully it's fast and furious and have a little bit of fun on the way. Okay. So for the uninitiated, what exactly is angel investing and how does it differ from other types of investing? Yeah. So angel investing refers to a very early check that goes into a company's life. And in the startup world, these companies are going to be ideally on a trajectory of high growth in a very short period of time. And capital is the fuel that will help this rocket ship fly. So what angel investing is is it's either individuals or syndicates or groups like Flying Fox. And we're putting some fuel on that initial fire. So we're putting that initial capital into the company. Maybe they've collected some checks before from some friends and family, but they've not yet gone down the VC path. It's a bit too early for them. And so angels are the ones who have really high conviction around what is a high risk but high reward asset class. And so we either need to be super optimistic or have some pretty forward thinking about what the world might look like. We're able to identify great founders and we get that early check-in and hopefully watch that rocket ship ride take off. So typically, is it an organization or a small business that's been around for a couple of years, they've funded themselves, bootstrapped it, and now they want to take it to the next level? Is that typical? Yeah, we see a few different paths that get to our point. So what you described is a bootstrap company where they've been tinkering around, maybe you know, deeply understanding the customer problem, building a minimum viable product and starting to get that product market fit. And they usually come to us when they think, wow, I, we, we think we have it. And by have it, that means they are seeing early traction that is indicative that they deeply understand the customer problem. And they have built a solution that people are starting to use, fall in love with, and maybe even pay for. Now, sometimes the pathway to get to that point takes a while because there are a few false starts, a few pivots. And other times we get folks that have a cracking idea. They're able to validate that very quickly. And so we are right in there in the earliest days of their journey. So the time to when they get that in angel investment might vary. But usually the indicators that we see are pretty consistent around understanding the customer problem, have built something that's indicative of the path of where this company is going. Do you have a favoured sector or favoured sectors? Listen, I think that especially in Australia at this point in the evolution of the startup ecosystem, I think it's too early to pick sectors. So we invest across all sectors, but what we're looking for are themes that are consistent. So we're looking for, like I said, a deep articulation of a customer problem that's in a very large and growing market. That market is global because, you know, as much as we love Australia and there are lots of great things going for it, we think that for the types of returns we're looking to get on our investment, it needs to be global from day one. And we're looking for something, sometimes called special sauce, which 
is an unhelpful term, but we're looking for something that is innovative either in the proprietary technology or in an innovative business model, or maybe there's been a, you know, some sort of seismic shift in consumer preferences or regulatory changes that all of a sudden make this solution viable where previously it wasn't. So we're looking for that moment in time. So presumably then there are probably some sectors that are less likely to attract investment. Yeah, I mean, for us, investments that require a ton of capital upfront before you get any sort of validation. And so we see that in either, you know, very deep technology or hardware, or we see that in the health sector in like biotech. That's just not the right type of investment for us. One, that's not our area of expertise. And two, that requires more capital upfront. And there are lots of other things that are required to make it successful rather than just cash. We're looking for companies that eat cash for breakfast and spit out revenue on the other end. Just like that. So what sort of qualifies you, I suppose, to find, well, I'm interested in your background, how you ended up, Rachel, in the position where you can actually have a fund like this that can eat up cash and spit out revenue. (laughs) Yeah. So I earned my startup stripes in a few different ways. So First of all, I went to university at Stanford, and I'm going to age myself, but I was at Stanford between 1999 and 2003. The glory years of Stanford, uh, I'd say. Yeah, well, it was the glory years of the first tech bubble. And so I had one of those front row seats of watching half of my classmates leave school to go become millionaires. And then some of them came back with their tail between their legs when all those companies went boom, and most of them went bust. So most people would be scared of the startup sector. And instead, I got addicted. I just love seeing people who are passionate about ideas, work really quickly, build, throw things against the wall, see what sticks, and then seeing how investors and the whole ecosystem can come together to bring an idea to life. And so actually, out of Stanford, I started to work in some other venture funds. But The real experience I had was when I returned to the Bay Area in 2013, and I worked for then a fairly early stage startup called Eventbrite, joined their team in San Francisco, ended up bringing that business to Australia as managing director, had a number of roles within the business, and got to see firsthand what it's like to scale a company and be on the operator side. When I came back to Australia, I wanted to leverage that experience, help some other companies that are now kind of the Australian startup all-stars like Canva or Vend in New Zealand, help them to do the things that I did when I was at Eventbrite, and then realized, you know, hey, if I don't know how to do that many things well, but there are a few things I know how to do well. So why don't I start putting my money where my mouth is? So I started investing in kind of my power lane, which was the industry I knew, which was ticketing and live events. It was the function, which was customer-driven product design. And so I invested in companies that fell into those square spaces like Tixel and Capiche. And then I realized I was building up my investment muscle. And so now I'm, like I said, industry agnostic and investing across the board. Stay with me, Rachel. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Rachel Newman, co-founder of Flying Fox Ventures. So when you're investing, and obviously the financials need to be there, I mean, you talked about the secret source. Is there some intangible that inevitably when you invest in something and then you look back, you think, ah, you know, what got me there was just the passion of the owner or the fact that that total addressable market was just something that I'd never known about? Or is, is there something 
that you just almost in common with what you invest in? Yeah, I think you'll hear from a lot of investors, and especially this is true at the earlier stages, it really comes down to the founder or the founders. She or he will have some maniacal need to wake up every morning and solve this problem and probably have some intimate relationship with the problem, which means that they know it better than anyone else and they can't shake it. And what's important is that at the early stage, when I'm looking at the product they have or the business they have, I don't actually believe that's going to be the product that's going to make me money or change the world. But that product is actually a proxy for how they are thinking about the problem and how their brain and their product capability and sensibilities is starting to build that first solution. And so I'm actually looking at kind of both their ability to intellectualize and execute on the problem. So we talk about having both empathy and execution. I need those in equal parts. So empathy for the customer problem and then execution, just this like maniacal ability to just build and get out there and sometimes sell a product before it's actually really ready. So I think that that founder behavior and founder mentality is super important. You mentioned the TAM or the total addressable market. That's important too, because especially we are looking for opportunities for really outsized returns, which means that we're often going to be making investments in spaces that are misunderstood or lots of people don't see it yet. We always say that if we talk about an idea and everyone's like, oh yeah, that's totally obvious, of course, we're too late. And so there has to be some part of us that when we squint our eyes, we see a future that is significantly different than the one we have, we're living in now. And we need to believe that the point from where we are now to where that future needs to be is one, a journey that this founder and this team is going to take us on. And two, with our capital, our expertise and our network, we're going to be able to get them to those inevitabilities. So how much money are you investing when you, you buy into something? typically? So like I said, this is the first kind of institutional check that a founder might get. We're looking at rounds that are usually being raised around the 1.5 million on a valuation of maybe six to 8 million. So it's early on in their journey. We at Flying Fox will be deploying around $5 million a year, which is roughly 10 500k checks. And those are first checks. One of the things that we love to see is that our portfolio continues to mature. And then we participate in follow-on rounds as well, just to continue to double down on our winners. But we'll be deploying about $5 million of fresh capital every year into 10 new companies. And so what sort of returns are you hoping to see? The important thing to remember is that early stage investing is a high risk, high reward asset class. And potentially a slow return too. Like you need to be patient. Absolutely. And that's the magic word. We talk about this as being patient capital. Our investors should expect to see some sort of return in the six to eight year mark. Sometimes we have some early liquidity events, whether that's a secondary or a trade sale or maybe even an IPO. But for the most part, mentally, we should think about this as being illiquid for quite some time. Now, what we expect on that other side is that we have really, really outsized returns. Now, what's important is that I'm a strong believer in portfolio theory, and the earlier you're investing in a company, the more just at-bats you need to have. So it's not, and statistically, it's not the quantum of capital that you're deploying that predicts your return. It's the number of investments you make. 
And so one of the things that we're trying to achieve at Flying Fox is that all of our investors who come into each cohort, they're getting at least 10 deals out of that pre-committed capital. And that's really important because I think it's dangerous when, you know, an early stage investor is investing in, you know, their friends, cousins, college roommates business. Like we love that, but you should have at least 10 or 20 other investments like it. We would much rather you, we always say, take a zero off the check and instead add that zero to the number of checks that you're going to write. Because not everyone is going to be a wild success. In fact, statistically, it's only about two to 4% of your portfolio be a wild success. But that success is going to make up for the entire portfolio that you've invested in. So it's unlikely your lightning is going to strike once. So we're just trying to get people to build up those portfolios, get that diversification, and really make that portfolio theory work for you. The other thing, if I'm running a business and I'm looking for some sort of capital and I go to Flying Fox Ventures, is it just the money or is there a chance of actually benefiting from your experience in this instance, but whoever's investing as well, rather than just taking a check? Yeah, and, and that's a really important thing. And I, I encourage all founders who are looking for capital to really think about what do you want this money to do? And money is actually readily available, but the types of skills or experience or network that you want to sit behind that money should be really strategic. So at Flying Fox Ventures, both my investment partner, Kylie, and I are very sleeves rolled up. So we're very active with our portfolio companies. And you know, I tend to work on the product strategy and go to market. Kylie tends to work. She's a M&A lawyer. And so she has tons of transactional and compliance and governance experience. She's also amazing in a crisis. So we kind of pick different places in which we lean into our portfolio, but it's really important that we are there to support them. And we're doing two things. One is, you know, helping them to grow and scale because we need that for our investment to grow. But then we're really looking at a 12 to 18 month window where we're trying to get them ready for their next round of fundraising. And so as soon as we're writing a check, we are working backwards from where do you need to be in 18 months to do that series A. And also, where's that capital likely to come from and how are we building those relationships on your behalf from the day one so that it's not a cold start in 12 months when you're talking to venture funds, they've already been across your business. The one other thing I want to mention is that sitting behind Kylie and myself is 30 odd investors in the second cohort. We'll think we'll have about 45 investors. These are all amazing individuals with experience to bear. Our investors kind of fall into one of three buckets. They tend to be successful founders who have started, built, and sold their own startups, and they're looking to both give back and switch gears into investing. They are either the second bucket is they are leaders in Australian corporate industries, and so they're great because you know they're running big businesses. They often have great networks. Sometimes they're even potential customers for these startups. And then the third bucket is downstream investors who are using Flying Fox as a way to play some of those early bets like er early optionality. And so when you think about the advantage to a founder, she or he doesn't just get Rachel and Kylie, they get this whole list of folks and they can say, hey, can I talk to so-and-so who is an absolute expert in that space? Or, hey, you know, can I talk to another founder who's been there, done that? And so those are the relationships that we're facilitating that I think bring, again, more than just money to the table. Yes, enormously beneficial, I'm sure, for anyone running a business. Rachel, thank you for talking to us and good luck with today's launch of Flying Fox. Thanks so much, Sean. It's been a pleasure. 
That was startup investor Rachel Newman, co-founder of Flying Fox Ventures. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join me every morning for the full Fear and Greed podcast with all the business news you need to know. I'm Sean Elmer. Enjoy your day.